Well, good evening and welcome to our Wednesday evening class, wherever you might be. If you're in northern Michigan, somewhere else throughout the country, or in a foreign country, we're glad that you are with us tonight. This is for our study of the Gospel of John this evening. We are in John chapter 5, 6, 7, and 8, although the majority of our studying will go in John chapter 5 and 6. This is for Wednesday, May the 20th. We do have a couple of things that we would like to make mention before we begin. The first is, which many of you are wondering and have been wondering for the longest time, uh, is when we are going to come back together as a congregation to meet. And we have, the elders have decided that May 31st, a week from this coming Sunday, May 31st will be our first gathering back together. And rather than go through all of the details here in this class, uh, I'm just going to make that announcement and be expecting a one text for our members and then notifying you of an email that will follow uh, for uh, the details of how we're going to, uh, uh, how this is going to go about. So I'm just announcing this that plan on May 31st if you are able to, and those details will be uh, forthcoming for all of you. But I just wanted to make that announcement uh, tonight. Um, and also, uh, this is the 20th of May. Yesterday was the catastrophic floods in central Michigan. We would also uh, like to remember those people, especially members of the church in the area uh, that are affected by this. Uh, the waters are still rising in the Midland area and are expected to crest yet tonight. Uh, the town of Midland is underwater, as are several of the smaller bergs uh, surrounding it. Many people have lost their homes. Uh, to the best of my knowledge from the news that no one has, uh, has uh, died from this or has had serious injury. So keep, that, keep these people in your prayers. Before we begin, let's go to God in a word of prayer. Father, we do count it a joy and a blessing to have been given this time. Uh, we are thankful each time that we can gather together as a group. Uh, whether it is in person or by means that uh, our modern culture has afforded us. May we be thankful for these times and appreciate it that we have this. We thank you for the freedoms that we are afforded here in this country as well to gather together. Uh, we know that this is not the case in many parts of the world. We pray that these barriers will be taken down and that your word might be able to go across freely uh, to those who are in so dire need of your saving grace. Father, be with us this uh, study that our hearts and minds will be open to the things of your word, that we may have a closer walk with you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. As I mentioned, we are in John chapter 5. Uh, we won't be going verse by verse. There's simply too much to cover uh, within the context, but we will, have a, uh, we will go over several things that are important uh, and give a brief overview. John chapter 5, uh, we find that Jesus is in Jerusalem. Uh, John chapter uh, 4, we found that Jesus was with the woman at the well, in Jacob's well. Uh, he was on his way back through Samaria and headed towards Jerusalem. He is now in Jerusalem. We'll begin with verse 1 of chapter 5. After this, uh, speaking of those things that were in chapter 4, after this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. 
Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel of the Lord went down at certain seasons into the pool and stirred the water. Whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was healed of whatever disease he had. And so we'll stop right there with those first five verses. Now, the Feast of the Jews mentioned in verse 1. We are not sure which feast this is. Scholars and commentaries have differing views of this because it is not named specifically. They assume that they're talking about the Passover, uh, but we are not sure. Other places the Passover is mentioned specifically. Other places the Feast of Booths is mentioned specifically or the Pentecost is mentioned specifically. But here we, do, uh, we have not been given the name and apparently the uh, Holy Spirit has not seen fit to reveal which one that it is. So we will leave it at that. But it was a Feast of the Jews. And he describes an area of Jerusalem. And this, according to maps, is on the north north to northeast side of the city of Jerusalem. And it's called the Sheep Gate Pool, uh, called Bethesda. And around it were five roofed colonnades. And so these were rather coverings that would be, as it has been described, there were one on each corner and then one uh, situated in the middle of this. And it describes these people that were invalids. And the, uh, the Greek word is uh, asthenia. Uh, you may recognize it as part of a word of myasthenia that is described in certain maladies in our modern world. It means a, a feebleness of body or mind, but implication, a malady, a moral frailty, disease, infirmity, sickness, or weakness. Uh, so it describes uh, several things that, uh, of these people that were, um, that were here. Uh, it calls them invalids. Uh, that is the Greek word uh, asthenia, uh, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. And apparently, John has recorded this, uh, and there seems to be a sense of which he talks about an angel of the Lord, uh, and this, uh, this angel of the Lord stirred the water and the first person in. How often this happened, we are not given the, uh, the insight into this. Uh, some people believe that it may have been the properties of the pool, uh, but because John has recorded that an angel of the Lord did this, then it must be true. Uh, the reason that it, that it is, uh, perhaps all of this time, is to bring this man for this very specific purpose. Uh, later in the, the Gospel of John, the disciples are going to ask Jesus about a man that was born blind. And they're going to ask him, Master, who sinned, this man or the parents? And Jesus' answer may have uh, shed some light on this because he says uh, neither the parents or this man, but it was, it was done for the glory of God. And it may be that this pool uh, had been prepared for just this time that Jesus would perform this, uh, this miracle. And so uh, as we continue down and we look at this, and we continue on with verse 6. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, um, after he'd been there a long time, uh, said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus commanded him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. 
Uh, and once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now the day was the Sabbath. And we'll stop right there and, and look at these verses. And I find it so curious when Jesus sees him lying here, and he asks, the first question that he asks the man is, do you want to be healed? And our natural reaction might be, well, of course he wants to be healed. Why would he not want to be healed? But now consider uh, that there might be uh, another side to this, and you consider how many people do not want to be healed. Now, we think of the, the, the personal afflictions that they have, but there are some people who suffer uh, ongoing and chronic illnesses who actually do not want to be healed. They are satisfied to live in the pain and suffering that they have and really are not searching for uh, a healing in this. And so Jesus most pointedly asks him this uh, imperative question, do you want to be healed? Uh, and the sick man replies that, because of his, uh, because of his paralysis that he, he has suffered, that he is not able to get down into the pool. Everyone makes it down there before him. Uh, and so Jesus gives him the command to get up and take up your bed and walk. Uh, and so in, uh, in this, the man at once was healed. He took up his bed and walked. He says, now the day was the Sabbath. Uh, it may be, as we mentioned just prior to this, that, that this situation had been allowed to happen where an angel of the Lord, apparently there was a reality to it, uh, stirred that water. And this man, and it tells us that he had been an invalid for 38 years. Uh, so they, I'm looking back here for the verse. Uh, so... For all of these years, we don't know if uh, in verse 5 that it tells us, um, uh, yes, he's been an invalid for 38 years, whether he was born that way, uh, whatever it was, however long he had suffered, how it comes about, we don't know. But that there again, that may have a bearing as we continue on down in the verses uh, because Jesus is going to come back and meet the man once again and is going to make a very interesting statement to the man. Uh, but here he has been he has been ill for 38 years uh, for this, and he is healed. The uh, let's see, I continue on in verse 10. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, uh, "It is a Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed." But he answered to them, "The man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk.'" And they asked him, "Who is this man that said to you, take up your bed and walk?" Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Jesus afterward found the man, found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus that had been healed. And again, this conversation that happens after the man uh, had talked to the Jews, then Jesus finds him again. We don't know the time that was elapsed. It may have been the very same day. It, it, uh, but that's not really imperative to the story. But he tells him to take up his bed uh, and walk. Uh, they want to know who it is that told him this. He says, I don't know. He does not know that who this man is. He does not know that this is Jesus. Uh, but he simply obeys the command when he told him to get up and walk. Uh, and when Jesus... Uh, comes to him in verse 14. He says, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. And some commentators have, have supposed that perhaps 
However he came about to be paralyzed, that may have, whatever he was doing may have led to this. We don't know, and it's really not, uh, we can speculate on what we want, but we won't know. But it, it may be that he tells him, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. It may have been, if we were to speculate, perhaps it, it may have been a bitterness that had come upon him, uh, for he... He may have easily have come to that conclusion of bitterness because every time he goes to get up into the water, imagine how frustrating it must have been for him to want to get up every time he saw the water stirred, but people go in before him. Uh, was it bitterness? Had he blamed God for all of this? Uh, whatever it was, he says, sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. Uh, that might, it might be uh, sound words to him, obviously it is, but it may be sound words to us that nothing worse may happen to you. Uh, it has often happened that people have received salvation but have chosen to go back into the world uh, and their last state is worse than the first. Uh, what Peter says in his letter may have bearing on this, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus uh, who had healed him. He finds out who this is. Why the man chooses to go back to the Jews, we, we don't really know. But he does. It may have been because they were, they were leaders. It, it may have been because he had, had thought, well, they wanted to know, and now it's my chance. I'm going to go and tell them. So he tells the Jews. And verse 15, verse 16, as we continue on, uh, verses uh, 16 and 18 give us two reasons why the Jews are angry with Jesus. Uh, verse 16, and this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. So there's reason number one. And verse 17, but Jesus answered them, my father is working until now and I am working. Jesus identifies himself, my father, so he identifies himself as the son of God. He makes himself equal with God. In verse 18, this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, reason number one, but he was even calling God his own father and making himself equal with God. So reason number two, and that was enough for the Jews to, um, to uh, want to uh, persecute Jesus. So really the, the whole construct of chapter 5 deals with the authority of Jesus. And Jesus uh, makes his authority known. And this is the, this is the first specific uh, miracle that we have of Jesus in Jerusalem. It, they believe it's the fifth miracle that Jesus performed, but it's the first one that has been identified uh, uh, as being in Jerusalem. We have had the Jesus turning wine into water, which was the second miracle, and other miracles that have taken place outside. But this is the first one that has been specifically uh, noted as happening in Jerusalem. Uh, so Jesus said, continuing on in verse 19, He said to them, Truly, truly, and remember at the beginning of our study of the Gospel of John, uh, 25 times in the Gospel of John, Jesus says, Truly, truly, He's making that statement here. Uh, so he's, he's setting this apart. I say to you, the Son, of, the Son can do nothing of His own accord, but only what He sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. And so here we have Jesus... Uh, identifying a unity of purpose with the Father, which is He sees the Father doing this, He does it likewise. Uh, Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 8 and 9 may come into view here. 
when Isaiah says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. So uh, the thoughts of, the, uh, of God are higher than man's. And Jesus says that the things that He is doing, He does because He has seen the Father do them. And uh, it, that is the purpose for what He does. Uh, for the Father loves the Son, continuing on in, in verse 20, Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He Himself is doing. And greater works than these will He show Him, so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom He will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. So we find the unity, not only the unity of purpose, but we have the unity of judgment uh, here. Uh, it, when Paul was preaching in Athens in Acts chapter 17 and verse 31, he says that he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world by, his, by the one whom he has appointed. And he's making reference to Jesus here. So there's a unity of judgment as well. Uh, in uh, John, continuing on in verse 23, he says that all may honor the Son just as, the, as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the, Son, honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes Him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. So we have uh, the unity of purpose, unity of judgment. Now we have unity of, of authority, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Who it is Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. So we have the authority here. Uh, verse 25, Truly, truly, that's saying again, I say to you, an hour is coming, and now is here, when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. He's not talking about the resurrection, uh, because he says uh, he's talking about that present time. And the dead that he's talking about are the spiritually dead. An hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God. Those words that Jesus speaks. Because He tells us that there's going to be a day when we're going to be judged and we're going to be judged by those words. Uh, and not only judged by those words, but the words that He gives them is able to give life. The spiritually dead, the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in Himself, verse 26, so He has granted the Son also to have life in Himself. And He has uh, given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear His voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. <coughs> Pardon me. So, uh, we, have, we have two times He's talking about the hour is coming when the dead will hear the voice of God and those who hear will live talking about the spiritually dead who hear His voice and who are able to come alive in the words. Then He also makes reference to uh, the hours going to come when He will draw people from the tombs, talking about the, uh, the resurrection, the general resurrection. Uh, so as He moves down, He continues on with this thought in verse 30. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. Now, Jesus identifies that what He is doing, He's doing because it is the will of the Father. And He puts that in stark contrast to uh, the will of the Pharisees. And the will of the Pharisees is not the will of the Father. It is their own will in this. I alone, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not deemed true. And this is in keeping with 
uh, under the law of Deuteronomy 19.15 is that uh, in order for something to be established, uh, it must be established by at least two witnesses. <clears throat> in Revelation 3.14, it says that Jesus is that faithful witness. John uh, 5.32 continues on, There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing, you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John, for the works of the Father has given me to accomplish. The very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. So Jesus makes reference to John the Baptist. And remember that uh, Jesus said to his disciples, Among those born of women, there's, there's never been one greater than John the Baptist. He says that the one who is least in the kingdom will be greater than John the Baptist. Those who are born into the kingdom, the church, which exists now, which began in Acts chapter 2, uh, the church and the kingdom being established then because of the giving of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we talked about how great that witness was of John, but he says that his testimony was even greater than that uh, of John. But even then, the Pharisees, whom he's talking to, you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You do not believe the things that I'm saying. Verse 39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, uh, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name. You did not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. So Jesus begins to set this up that these, the scriptures here are bearing witness about him, uh, but they refuse to accept that. Uh, verse 44, continuing, How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes uh, from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? And so we come to the end of chapter 5. Remember, as we got to the end of chapter uh, 24 of Luke, uh, one of the last things that happens is that Jesus finds the two uh, disciples on the road to Emmaus. And it says that when he had opened their eyes to the Scriptures, he made known to them the things that were written of him, uh, of the Law and the Prophets. And when he talks to his disciples that very day, uh, the same day, it says that it was not only the Law and the Prophets, but also the Psalms. They were all testified of Him. He opened their minds to it, and going through them, He showed them. And so He says here to these people that it was the Law of Moses that testified about Him, that, that made known that there was one that was coming. I believe uh, in the sermon on Sunday, we made note of the fact that in Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse 15 and then uh, verse 18, talks about that Moses said that there's going to be another prophet that is raised up after him and that those who did not pay attention to what the prophet said uh, would suffer because of it. And we know that this is talking about Christ because uh, in the book of Acts it notes that very verse as referring to him. So we have it uh, uh, testified that, uh, that this is what was happening. 
So we come down to John chapter 6. We've ch finished chapter 5. We're going to spend most of our time tonight in between John 5 and John 6. So uh, we have the feeding of the 5,000. And this is one of the few times that, uh, that one of the uh, incidents in the gospel is contained uh, in all four gospels. The miracle of feeding the 5,000 is found in Matthew chapter 14, Mark chapter 6, and Luke chapter 9. All talk of this instance. Uh, tells us in verse 1, After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. So it's, uh, there's some time has passed. Uh, we don't know. It just simply says, after this. And one thing of note is that, that John writes, much like a Jewish writer, that his, his writings are not in a chronological order uh, so much as they are really recording these things. So, but when it says after this, it is, uh, he's, he's talking in a chronological order. Uh, Jesus goes away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and Tiberias being one of the Caesars. So this name was uh, given to the Sea of Galilee is called the Sea of Tiberias. Not unusual for, uh, for towns to be named after uh, great leaders. We find Alexandria, Egypt was named after Alexander the Great. And so we find Caesarea Philippi was named uh, was given names after, after people. So the Sea of Galilee originally was called, and just a little history lesson, geography lesson, was originally called in the Old Testament the Sea of Chinnereth, C-H-I-N-N-E-R-E-T-H. -N -N -E we find that in Numbers 34, Deuteronomy 3, and then again in Joshua 13 and 19. So this, this sea occurs in history. Uh, prior to this, we find in the New Testament it's called Galilee, but it's also called by the Roman name uh, Tiberius. Uh, so we have the uh, verse 2, a large crowd uh, was following him because they saw the signs and he was doing, uh, that he was doing on the sick. And in just in a uh, little bit of a Greek, um, a little bit of Greek here for you, the, the three words that are talked about here, following, uh, saw, and doing are all in the imperfect sense. So uh, if we put this into the sense of what it is, a large crowd kept following him because they continually saw the signs that he was habitually doing, that he kept on doing all the time on the sick. Now, why is this important? Because when we continue on down into this, Jesus is going to give, he's going to tell them why they are following him. And the reason that he gives that they're following him is, is not very flattering to them. But the crowds are following him because he's continually doing these signs, uh, and that is reason. Jesus went up on a mountain in verse 3, and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then, and seeing that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? And he said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. And interesting that the teacher would be using this, uh, this situation to test he said this to test him. What was he trying to test? Why test Philip? Um, and why test those who are following him? And the, it's not just the, the miracle that he uses to test, uh, but he's trying to point them not to the miracle, but to the one who is performing the miracle. And to find out if they're growing in their unbelief or they're growing in their belief. And this, this becomes clearer as he, as he unfolds them. 
And Philip's answer to him was, uh, remember there's going to be revealed that there are 5,000 people, 200 denarii, which would be 200, the wages for 200 days of work, would not buy enough bread for each of them to get a little. And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they uh, for so many? Uh, so in sort of a tongue-in-cheek way of saying it, as, uh, uh, as Andrew says, here we have five loaves, which how large the loaves were, but it, it's obvious that he's saying that whatever this little boy has, it, 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 no way it would be sufficient for this. But Jesus says, have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. When it says that there are 5,000 men, he's talking about the, the male of the group. So it may have been many, many more than this. However, how many more, we don't know. It may have been 7,000, 10,000, whatever it was, uh, five loaves and two fish are not enough. Jesus then took the loaves in verse 11. When he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. So this is a miraculous event. When they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, gather up the leftover over fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them, gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. Even that which was left over was more than what they originally had started with. Uh, this really has a, 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 a connection to the Old Testament. In the book of 2 Kings in chapter 4, verses 42 and 44, uh, begins, A man came from Baal Shalashah, bringing the man of God bread of the first fruits, twenty loaves of barley, and fresh ears of grain from his sack. And Elisha said, Give to the men that they may eat. But his servant said, How can I set this before a hundred men? So he repeated, Give them to the men that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, They shall eat and have some left. So he set it before them, and they ate and had some left according to the word of God. So it's interesting that, that this miracle that Jesus performs really has its uh, has a link to the Old Testament in the same way that Elisha says that there's going to be some left over. Um, they shall eat and have some left. So this may have been uh, a fulfillment of the prophecy that we find in the Old Testament there. Uh, so continuing on in verse 14, When the people saw the sign that they had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving them that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the, uh, to the mountain by himself. Made reference to this uh, this particular passage last Sunday in the sermon, when we talked about the divisions amongst the people in chapter seven, uh, which is why I'm not going to spend a lot of time in chapter seven because the sermon was about it. But there was division amongst the people as to who it was, and Jesus asked that that question of questions in Matthew chapter 16 when he says, asked his disciples, "Who do people say that I am?" Uh, and they uh, they talk about who they thought it was, that maybe it was uh, John the Baptist who had come back to life, or maybe it was one of the prophets, or, or Elijah. Uh, so the people were divided on exactly who it was. And Jesus asked that question, who do you say that I am? Uh, but the people here realized this is indeed the prophet who is coming to the world. So making reference again to uh, Deuteronomy chapter 18, when it says that I will raise up a prophet after you. The people... Uh, often related that, that prophet as being the same as would be the Messiah. They were waiting for that prophet uh, to come up. So they, and they were going to come and take him by force and make him the king. 
believing that perhaps he was going to be the one that was going to lead them and break that bond, uh, those that yoke that the uh, Romans had on them, uh, that he would they make him king. Uh, but the uh, uh, his time had not yet come, so he withdrew again uh, into the mountain. And so uh, we look at this. Uh, this, this miracle that Jesus has, has performed here about multiplying the bread. And now, if you continue on down into the chapter, he's going to make a relationship to this. But in between, there's going to be a miracle of him walking on the water. And there's a connection here, if we're willing to see it. Uh, is, uh, this, this miracle of walking on the water is also contained in Matthew chapter 14 and Mark chapter 6. Uh, Jesus is going to uh, is is going to to show them that he was greater than Moses. When evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into a boat, and started across the sea to Capernaum. And Capernaum was on the west side of the Sea of Galilee, uh, so they um, they may have been on the the east side or south side, but whatever they were at, they were going to make that trip across the water to Capernaum, uh, which is remember that's where Peter and Andrew lived, and that's where Jesus moved to after he left Nazareth. Uh, it was now dark, and Jesus had not yet come to them. The sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. And that term, it is I, is really more correctly translated, I am. It, I am, uh, I am he. Then they were glad to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land to which they were going. And we don't understand what, uh, how fast this was. It says immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. Uh, perhaps there's another miracle uh, into this. So uh, Jesus shows, that, and he's going to connect this with uh, he being greater than Moses. He's going to connect that also with the manna that comes down from heaven. And if we think about that when Moses came to the, uh, the Red Sea or the Sea of Reeds, in which the Israelites were trapped, uh, but and the Egyptian army was coming behind them, uh, Moses was commanded to make the sea part. But Jesus says, uh, shows that he's greater than Moses. He doesn't have to part the water. He walks on the water. On the next day, the crowd uh, that remained on the other side, uh, other side of the sea, saw that they were had been uh, only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. And so Jesus, as I made mention earlier, Jesus is going to tell them exactly why it is that they are, uh, they are following him. And they are following him. Their ulterior motives were because they're being fed by, the, by him. And, and he says, Truly, truly, he sees them. And... Uh, so we, as he makes that statement to them, and now he continues on with a spiritual message for it. You've been following me for physical food, but 
Verse 27 says, Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on Him God the Father has set His seal. Then they make a very curious statement here. Then they said to Him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God that you believe in Him whom He has sent. And sometimes the, the statement is made that there is no works that we can do in order to be saved. And identifying that there are certain works that it might be baptism, they say, is a work. But here Jesus says plainly, this is the work of God that you believe in Him. So belief is a work. So if someone says that, that you can't work, uh, they need to read exactly what Jesus is saying here. Now he's not talking about uh, meritorious works that we're doing, but he says that belief is actually work. This is the work that God wants us to do. Uh, but they want to know, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Uh, so, they, so they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What works? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as is written. He gave them bread from heaven uh, to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So they are, they are very, very close to, uh, to grasping a spiritual lesson here. And so... Uh, 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 verse 34, they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Uh, almost the same thing that the woman at the well says in chapter 4, when Jesus talks about this living water that he would give, that people would never thirst again. Sir, give me this water so that I don't have to keep coming to this well. In the same sense, they said, Sir, give us this bread uh, that comes down for heaven. They were so close uh, to this. Jesus said to them, and this is the first of the seven, I count eight when we get down to uh, the end of chapter eight, but there are seven that are generally accepted as the IMs. Jesus said to them in verse uh, 35 of John chapter six, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me, and yet you do not believe. All that my Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. So this, this first of the I am statements that he uses, he says, I am the bread of life. Uh, since they had made this, this notation that their fathers had re received this manna that came down from heaven, and Jesus uh, uses a, a spiritual uh, lesson here. He says, it wasn't Moses that gave you the bread, it was the Father from heaven. Interesting also to note that Paul makes a uh, notation of the living water, and that living water, that rock that followed them, that rock was Christ. So, he, so that living water and living bread uh, is found in Christ. Jesus said, I am the bread of life here in chapter 6. He'll say in John chapter 8, he'll say, I am the light of the world. Again in John chapter 10, he says, I am the door of the sheep. In chapter 11, he says, I am the resurrection of life. In uh, John chapter 10, backing up just a little bit, he says, I am the good shepherd. In John chapter 14, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And in chapter 15, he says, I am the true vine. And so those, those complete it. Uh, the eighth one, which, which I add when he says, before Moses was, I am. And because we have the Septuagint, of which the 
the Old Testament has been translated into Greek, that same, that same phrase when he says, I am, uh, is the same one that's been translated from the, uh, from the uh, book of Exodus, chapter 3. But Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So he makes that those two sustenances that, that mankind needs to live on, those physical things, uh, bread and water. Uh, Jesus says he is, he is that. But in the physical sense, they were thinking in the physical sense, but Jesus is presenting the spiritual lesson to them that the, uh, the bread that they, spiritual bread they need comes from him, but also that water that he that he offers. Uh, For I have come down from heaven, in verse 38, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that has been given to me, but raise it up in the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up in the last day. And, And sometimes there's a misconception that that there are those who, from before the foundation of the world, that God predestined, uh, and that there's nothing they can do either one way or the other to either save themselves or lose themselves, that God has predetermined this. But he says, this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him uh, should have eternal life. So he's saying that there is a, uh, there is a desire of, Father, of the Father. Uh, and also, also it is said in the, uh, the epistles that is, God is not willing that anyone should perish. It's not God's will that I've chosen this group but not that group. God desires all people uh, to be saved and come to a knowledge. Uh, verse 42, John chapter 6, they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he say, I have come down from heaven? Again, this, this statement that is made about uh, they, they question as to his humble nature, uh, and, he's, and he's simply a human being. Uh, that He's the son of Joseph, and his father and mother they know. How, how can he make this statement being uh, a human that we have known? And uh, Verse 43, Jesus answered them, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up in the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone who has seen the Father except he who is from God has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. And repeats that once again. Uh, I am the bread of life. Verse 48, your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I now give for life of the world is my flesh. Uh, And the Jews are going to argue this. They disputed among themselves in verse 52. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Uh, So Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in me. Uh, and, and sometimes we get the impression that what Jesus is talking about is the Lord's Supper. Uh, the emblems that we have is in the bread represents his body and the fruit of the vine represents his blood. But really what he's talking about in the, in the greatest sense is his entire life, uh, is that we must become in, indulged in his life, in what he had to offer in this. Uh, while it may have the uh, ramifications uh, in a sense, in a spiritual sense of the um, of the Lord's Supper. He's really talking about his life, becoming uh, completely immersed uh, 
uh, in that. Uh, so we come down to uh, verse 60, as we uh, coming down to the close of the end of the chapter. When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if I, you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is of no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Interesting that Jesus talks, talks about the, uh, himself being the bread of life and people grumbled about it in the same way that when the Israelites in the Old Testament received the manna from heaven, we found that they grumbled about this. It wasn't enough for them to have the manna. They wished for the leeks and onions and things that they had and fish back in, in Egypt. They grumbled about this the same way that the people grumbled here uh, in it. Uh, but there are some of you who do not believe in verse 64. For Jesus knew from the beginning who it was who did not believe and who it was that was going to betray him. Jesus knew that it was going to be Judas Iscariot. Uh, and verse 65, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. And after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Uh, they walked away because they could not accept the whole counsel of Christ. And, it, and it's easy to, to accept the, uh, some of the things that, that we want to believe that Jesus is all loving and he's there to, uh, to bring us to the Father. But many times we find that when it comes to the harder sayings uh, that Christ gave to us, and when I say that Christ gave to us, we know that those who wrote the epistles, uh, we talk about Paul, we talk about James and Jude and John, all of those who wrote about it, they are writing as if they were the words of Christ because it says the Holy Spirit took the words that Christ gave. Christ took the words that the Father gave him. So uh, we can't say that the words that the, of the epistles are less important because they came from Christ. So in those, those words that were given to us by the writers of the epistles say that these are things that you should not do. And people find them are too restrictive. They are willing to walk away because they cannot accept uh, the whole council. So Jesus says in verse 67 to the 12, uh, those, those apostles beginning with Peter and ending with, in the list, often ending, uh, always ending with uh, Judas Iscariot, do you want to go away as well? And Peter makes this great confession here, uh, in many ways equal to, uh, to what he made in the great confession in Matthew chapter 16. Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you truly, that you are the Holy One of God. And the only other time that this word is used, this phrase, the Holy One of God, is, believe it or not, is used by the demons. The demons recognize him that you are the Holy One of God. But Peter alone makes this statement as well. Uh, which doesn't make him equal with the demons. I'm not trying to say that, but uh, Peter recognizes him as the Holy One of God. And Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is the devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he was one of the uh, twelve who was going to uh, betray him. Uh, so we come to, uh, come to the end of our study as we're... Uh, quickly running out of time, so we'll stop there rather than going into chapter 7 and 8. Uh, I knew we were only going to get to 5 and 6. Uh, so uh, it is interesting in, in these chapters as it continues, Jesus is constantly fighting this battle 
with people as to who he is. There's a division. Some say that he is this and some say he is that. The unwillingness of the spiritual leaders, the Pharisees and Sadducees, the scribes, the rulers, rulers of the Jews, unwilling as a whole to accept who he was. And he will battle with this constantly uh, through the rest of uh, through the rest of his uh, of his ministry, constantly being challenged by this. But the disciples, those twelve who who stuck with him, uh, the great words, "Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of life." Uh, truer words, perhaps, could not have been spoken about him uh, in this sense. So I hope you have enjoyed our class uh, this evening. Um, if if you had trouble at the beginning or didn't tune in at the very beginning, I want to reiterate what I said about our, uh, our public services, perhaps expand on it just a little bit. We are going to begin meeting on the 31st. It will be only for the worship service. We are not going to have our Bible classes as such. The only public gathering will be the Sunday morning service at 10 o'clock. It will be the only service. and. We are going to get all the information out that you're going to need. And if you have any questions, we would um, we'd urge you to contact one of the elders, myself or Greg or Jack, any questions you may have or concerns uh, about this meeting uh, uh, that is coming up as we begin to meet together. Uh, as we close, uh, let's go to God in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you again for this time that we've had together. We never tire of telling you thank you for the things that you have given us in our lives. But we are mindful, uh, Father, that there are struggles and issues that each of us have in our lives. We pray, Father, that through faith, through belief in you, knowing that uh, all good things will come from those who believe in you are called, uh, that you might grant us the faith uh, through knowing your word, uh, knowing your son, to make it through these uh, struggles at this time. We especially pray for those who are suffering in this world uh, through the, uh, the pandemic that is going through the world and especially the, uh, those in central Michigan who are uh, suffering because of the flooding that is continuing to go on. We pray, Father, that uh, you guide those who seek you in wisdom to know how to go through this. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.